0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry.
1: Evangelicals have so ingratiated themselves or identified themselves with the right-wing Republican Party. That it's not a huge leap between people who are not Christian making a religion of right-wing Trumpism and those who are claiming that is Christianity that are coming at it and so transforming the religion that it's no longer really identifiable as Christianity.
2: Yeah, and that is
1: Phil Bisher's point. The the yeah, it's a natural progression. Yeah, the in fact, you could probably get rid of the the unhandy parts. And isn't that kind of now? I hear I don't want to step on any toes, but isn't that what the megachurch is? That it is getting rid of that you know that theology stuff. Right. It's so messy. You right. Know. Why why do we have to mess with that thinking? Right. Yep. History, church history. <laughs> right. Right. What does that do for anybody? Yeah, yeah. There, I would
2: say there's definitely a, a coming from megachurch world. There is certainly not a push for anything intellectual. Um, there's not a push to have an understanding of church history. Uh, there's not really a push for discipleship. That doesn't happen.
1: I think you have to be, it's got to be about numbers. And the numbers are, you're going to get the most numbers. Obviously, you don't want to do political stuff. Right. Or if you do do political stuff, you want right-wing political stuff. Yes. I guess. I'm not enough of a, uh, uh, I don't quite know, but I'm guessing that uh, you know, maybe somewhere out there there's a young guy that's a mega church preacher that thinks, you know, maybe this Trump stuff isn't so good, but I don't think he could get up and say that. Yeah, no, I I mean, we
2: had, we don't touch political stuff for the most part at all, either way. You know, we had one of our teaching pastors, had, he used to be a writer for Jay Leno, so he's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, And we had him do a stand-up bit for a men's event where he just came and did stand-up just for something fun. And he made one very light, which I think whether you were right or left, he made one light joke about Joe Biden. And uh, people were shocked that he said anything political. And it would have been... You know, if you can picture, if you remember Jay Leno doing sort of political humor, which was not very, there wasn't a lot of teeth to it. Right. That kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, you can't, if you want numbers, you
1: can't offend. And Um, so it has to be inoffensive. Yeah. Uh, It has to make people feel comfortable. Yeah.
2: Uh. And the sermons have to make you feel good. There's not a lot of challenge you can't challenge
1: people. Let, let me ask you something here, and this is this may be a kind of self-indicting thing.
3: Yeah.
1: That I, I'm very interested in a kind of psychological application of the gospel. Yeah. In other words, that's kind of what I'm doing in my book. I'm right. saying, oh, there actually is healing to be had yeah. in Christ. But I almost think that that too could be taken in a kind of pop psychology sort of way, Uh, and I see that, you know, a kind of health and wealth gospel, that there may, in fact, be a kind of psychological element to it, that sometimes I'm afraid I sound. Mm. But that's not what I'm doing. I, I don't think.
3: Yeah, I don't think so either.
1: When I was in Japan... Uh, I had a student from Palestine, and he had become a Christian watching TV yeah. during the tr- troubles with the Israelis, and he was there in Japan on his way to the States, and he was just fascinated with Charles Stanley, and was going to go study psychology, and I I can't claim to have watched or heard listened to much of Charles Stanley, but what little I did, it seemed a lot of pop pop psychology. Mm-hmm. Am I am I is that?
2: So, I didn't listen to a lot of Charles Stanley. When I did, I, maybe maybe so, he, he was not health and wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, call, you know, he was, he was, Charles Stanley was not a Joel Osteen. Okay. Know. He was better than that. Um, I always told people, like, if you were going to watch any of them, he would be the one I would watch. I didn't watch those, so... <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't know. But I'm guessing that even that may be a little heavy. Right. I don't know what, in other words, and I know in our movement, in the restoration movement, the history of this is fairly clear. Well, Right now, I don't know the, the Christian churches, Church of Christ... Well, I mean, Church of Christ may be a different story, but the Christian churches, independent, I just think are evangelicals. And in fact, we've almost created the category with the megachurch because it was actually Bob Russell who began to study the church growth method. He read Donald McGavern. Did it, grew the, I think that that church in Louisville is one of the original megachurch. Yes. That model has become the megachurch model. Yeah. Now whether, whether everybody knows who Donald McGavern is, than what Donald McGavin was doing, I'm not clear. Yeah, but the philosophy is there. Yeah, and the philosophy is you want an upwardly, in other words, you're 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 wanting numbers. Yeah, that there were there were we've shifted our valuation system to numbers. So, for example, so our model at Connection Point,
2: we're going after thirty-five year old married woman. That's what we have said. That's who we're our target audience. And so, if you are outside that model, that's fine. But that's not who we're targeting. And how do you target a 35-year-old married woman? You have really good kids' ministry. Mm-hmm. You're really focused on family. And, I mean, that's what you're going to hear time and time again, is family, kids, family, kids. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. you know, my question then is, all right, I well, uh, I don't fit into that model. And then I really think about, well, when I
1: was struggling with addiction, I didn't fit into that model at all. And I I needed Jesus. Is it cruel to say, I don't imagine they want a lot of addicts hanging around.
2: We have a large population of addicts. Now, we have one of our elders goes to an addiction recovery place that I also help out with. Mm -hmm. And he brings... 20 30 guys there okay now I have banged my head against the wall and pleaded with can we start a group for them that we help them that we help to disciple them and at this point nothing has happened um, mm-hmm. but we have like they're coming to us they need mm-hmm. Jesus and they need us to pour into them I would say there's not a lot being done at this
1: point. I understand the children's ministry. So the actually then the the main service is what is that consist of most? Really loud worship.
2: Um and then which is, you know, the music worship is the music part for that. Okay. And then a sermon that is a lot of times family oriented. Um, our model is that Most of the time, we're going to be speaking to the people who have never stepped foot inside a church door and need everything explained to them.
1: Seeker-friendly.
2: Very seeker-friendly. I guess my question would be, I don't know how much, and I I don't know these numbers, so it might not be fair. I don't know how many new people we're getting who are new to faith versus how many people we're getting from other churches, which is a struggle for me.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So the point is not to reach, it's not necessarily evangelistic. I really think they want to be,
2: but I don't know that that's the number. You know, when we talk about, and we of course talk about our numbers and growth and, and it's grown like crazy, and, but I if you really delved into the numbers, as much as they want to be evangelistic to that 35-year-old married woman and her family... I don't know how many of them are new to faith versus well this other church that doesn't have the resources we did we pulled them away from there
1: so it is it, it, it is an absorption of other yeah. groups other yeah. churches the resources that they're in fact they're going to be able to be uh, offer more services
3: yeah
1: I mean for the family yeah more children's ministry yeah more pay more attention to things that a young family is looking
2: for. Yeah, and also, I mean, they do a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, like our children's ministers are, do a great job. The student ministry does a great job of caring about the kids and investing in them. And isn't there something to be said for them? Absolutely. And and the, the student ministry probably has a better discipleship model than the adult ministry.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So what is... Uh, and since you're leaving... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if not, we can't release the
2: sermon. Oh, yeah. What is the critique? Especially, there's no discipleship that happens. They get a, a a very weak sermon that is uh, Baptist in theology. The, of what theology? That, there's not a lot of theology. But what there is is Baptist. Mm hmm. And there's no discipleship plan. So the discipleship is, well, we just get them into small groups, and then
1: discipleship will happen.
2: Mm -hmm. But if those people that are leading the small groups have never been discipled, how then does discipleship happen? There was a, I I always compare it to, uh, there's an episode of South Park, um, which is going to be strange that I'm referencing South Park, but just bear with me a minute. So there's an episode of South Park where the South Park kids meet, these underwear gnomes. <laughs> and the the underwear gnomes are stealing underpants. And the South Park kids say, Why are you stealing underpants? And they say, Well, step one, it's a business model. And they say, Step one is to steal underpants. And they say, Okay, well step two. And they said, Step two, and they don't say anything. And they say, Step three, make profit. Mm. And so the South Park kids go, Yeah, what well, was we'll go back to step two? And they say, Well, Step one, we steal underpants. Step two, step three, we make profit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way we're doing discipleship is we go, well, they're going to come to us. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to be in small groups and they'll be discipled. Mm -hmm. It's like, but what about step two? No one's getting discipled. No one's growing in their knowledge of the faith. Mm -hmm. No one's going after the meat of Jesus. We're Mm -hmm. just giving them the milk. You know, these small group leaders that we're wanting to disciple who haven't been discipled, what are we giving them to disciple with? Mm-hmm. Nothing. And that's the
1: whole model. I'm trying to find something redemptive. <laughs> uh, but isn't can it be said that these kids are retained in the faith? Is that true? Uh, I don't know. We'll, that,
2: that, we'll see. I know it, it right now we have... Zach Breitenbach, who used to be a professor at Lincoln, is now running a worldview training center for students at Connection Point. Oh. Um, we'll see how that works. Uh, whether that and I was going to say what worldview they're getting trained in, but but that I mean that is the question. Is I don't know Zach very well. Yeah, I know he. Um, who's the apologetics guy? Knop. Oh, yeah. He was Nop's right hand guy. Okay. So that Nop had a worldview program. I forget what that's called, but essentially they're doing that worldview program
1: mm-hmm. um, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually fairly naive on a lot of this, but I'm assuming that there is no notion of, of challenging, or is there? The culture as we have it? Oh, no.
2: No. It, well, not for adults. Maybe for kids and students. I have had interaction with some of the students, including my own, who have... So in the summer, there is no student ministry, so they, they go to the main service. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't like it because they're not getting what they get in the students.
1: So they're actually doing more serious stuff. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we our student minister uh, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing um, Preston Sprinkle. You know, Preston Sprinkle. So, Preston Sprinkle has a podcast. He's written a lot of books on understanding homosexuality, transgender. Like he also he's on the nonviolence. Okay. Train.
1: He's on the peace.
2: Train. Yeah, he's on the peace train. Actually, I think they're trying to get him to come and talk to students about homosexuality, transgender, those sorts of issues, mm-hmm. and he t- takes it with a compassionate but biblical mm-hmm. point of view, does a really good job, and uh, so they've been doing those sorts of things and um, really investing in the students and helping them to, to grow in their faith. They found out, I was really impressed with this, they found out that um, they had sent a survey to the students and said, what do you want to know? And the students replied back, we don't really know the Old Testament at all. We'd like to know, have a greater understanding of the Old Testament. So this spring, that's what they did. They, they went through Bible characters and talked about and uh, gave them knowledge on Bible characters. I, had to do, I did a sermon on the entire life of Abraham, which is hard to boil down to a 35-minute mm. sermon. No. Um but yeah, I was I was impressed with that and I've seen my own Awyn, my oldest daughter, grow in her faith through the student service and um and I've told our student director before I said you have the best service on campus. Hmm. And it's not close. No. Um,
1: so <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So that's a church of seven thousand. Yeah. Oh I mean, Easter if you include online we had almost ten thousand people. Wow. Wow. So, you know, Bentley Dave Bentley Hart's thing is, well, Christianity is, is has yet to reach the shores of this country. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> in a very hard way. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I think that's a bit harsh. Yeah. But uh, if the megachurch seems to be the model, not just for Christian churches. In other words, I don't think Christian church, I don't think that matters anymore. Does that even enter into it? Christian church? Yeah, it is I by that I mean the the independent Christian churches of the Restoration. Movement. No, I, I mean if we're I'm at a I work for a
2: Christian church. There's not a lot on staff that are Christian
1: church. They, don't even, they do they even know what that is? I don't
2: think so. Yeah. Not a lot of them. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's you know when we when we think about like well what we're talking about in the this podcast that. The Christian church was the one of them, at least, that did not go along with the original sin understanding of Augustine. That's not being taught. We can't can't say that now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say the majority of, at least a lot of Christian churches that I know would probably go right along with an original sin
1: understanding. It's almost like at this point, and surely this is an exaggeration, but in as much as evangelicalism is defined by the model of the megachurch, they're really, at this point, I'm not sure it makes a lot of difference of what the denomination or what. Right. They're all doing the same thing. Yeah. And and it's not going to be doctrinal. No. A focus on doctrine. No. For, so on
2: Easter, we didn't have communion. Christian church. Oh. On Easter, we didn't have communion. Which is the second year in a row we haven't had communion. We also didn't have it at Christmas. Now, for you traditions that don't take that every Sunday, that I get that. But Christian Church. That's one of the things we're that's why we about. get
1: together. Yes. We
2: take it every Sunday.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, so I asked why aren't we taking it? And they the response was, Well, people probably won't understand it. If they're new and you know they might be offended by it and so um, we're not going to do it and I said so they're not going to understand it like the original 12 didn't understand it when Jesus did it the first time and he took the time to explain it to them that's just one of those uh, we're becoming like everybody else Um, and that I think being a Christian church being trained in a Christian church is heartbreaking to me, because the Christian church was different. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it was perfect. Obviously, there's, you know, John Lockean stuff right. that got mixed in with the Christian church. I get all that. But it was a different form of the faith than you saw in the West. Uh, and I think that's going by the wayside. If it's not gone all completely, yeah, and
1: and I guess that what your I guess the next question is that with the rise of a kind of right wing Republicanism as a religious, mm-hmm. I don't know that uh, it just seems that, that that is the easiest thing to fall into. Yeah, that is definitive of these, or at le- or at least that would be a a, a majority of uh, view among these people. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that, I think that's
2: why we see a rise of people who want to take their faith more seriously going into the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church or the Orthodox Church because it's not happening in evangelicalism. Um, so they're looking for somewhere that takes the faith more seriously. Yeah. And what they're finding is more of that in liturgical churches than what we have in the megachurch
1: model. Yeah, you just can't fault people for no. Uh, at this point, this the survival of Christian faith. I, I just think that well, people are just going to have to do. If you if you find that it, you can maintain your faith in Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism. Um, a lot of people move into Episcopalianism or yeah. Anglicanism. Anglican. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How can you object to that? Yeah. For for many people, I mean, I, I think for some of us, I got this little niche, you know. Right. i have existed in this kind of odd space, but I understand that for most people, that's just not a possibility. Yeah. You gotta you've got to have some place that you know you go to to. Yeah. If you had to make a grand, what is the state of health of Christianity in this country? You're right in the middle of it. You're probably in one of the biggest churches in the country. Uh I think
2: we're sick. Yeah. And I think that the heartbreaking part, you know, I see I see people coming there are new believers coming to faith at Connection Point. Like I've seen, I've talked to them. Mm-hmm. Face to face. I had, you know, one couple in tears um, during a a small group meeting that was telling me excitedly in tears that they had just started praying for their meals a month before. Mm -hmm. And they were so excited to tell me that. Mm -hmm. And that part is amazing to Mm -hmm. to see that happening. But then what? Like, okay. (laughs) we We don't have anything. This is all we have for you is that which i mean you know if if new believers are coming to faith that's fantastic but we're not training them after that the nature of the faith
1: is real open
2: yeah and you so then you get a paper thin faith that you know you're not going to be challenging the culture what happens when difficulties arise um and what they you know one of the things that um we have stories in every sermon where we have a story of someone and how god has done something wonderful which is great but what about the person that that didn't happen for mm-hmm. you know what, what about the person whose marriage wasn't healed what about the person that died from cancer and was praying just as hard
3: mm-hmm.
2: and how, we're not answering those questions we're not really even delving into those sorts of questions.
1: And I, I think this applies to our subject here. And that is, you're talking about an understanding of sin as ancestral sin. Yeah. If sin is cultural, ancestral, and you're not getting saved from it, are we still doing Christianity?
3: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it goes back to your... I
2: always love this question... And I've asked it a lot since hearing you say it, and uh, save from what?
1: Yeah, and I think that what you're describing—I mean, I, to me, that's the the thing about the peaceable gospel. Yeah. Well, you save from violence, right? You know that's easy. easy. Yeah. And violence—it it comes. I mean, that is the form that the the culture comes to us. Yeah. In so many forms, it it's it's obviously penetrated by you know obviously with the military and you know, national yeah. violence, but also just uh, the whole culture is inundated with uh, forms of violence, forms of thought. People are just shooting each other. Yeah. Uh, I guess because they're scared. Yeah. If it's up to me to protect me, yeah, I'm going to have to arm myself pretty heavily. Yeah. Back, well, back to
2: the Holy Post podcast, the one that the Veggie Tales Phil Fisher guy does. He has a co host named Sky Jatani. And he was talking about uh, the different messages that you get from the church. And he was talking about, he said, it's pretty clear to identify the voice of Christ or the voice of the Antichrist. And he said, if what you're listening to, either in your church or on your news program, teaches you to fear, whether it's fear of death, like we've been talking about, fear your neighbor, that you're growing in fear, you're listening to the voice of the Antichrist. Oh that's and you good. need to get out.
1: That's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: He said, you know, you either need to get out of that church or you need to turn off that news program because that's the voice of the Antichrist. And he said, but if the voice you're listening to is talking to you about loving your neighbor, how to care for those who are hurting, who's talking about building and creating Things that are beautiful—that's the voice of Christ.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's
2: good. I thought that was brilliant.
1: That's easy.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's
1: not it, it, actually what we're talking about is not that difficult. Once you once you get that Jesus is promoting a peaceful, nonviolent kingdom. Yeah. Once you understand he's saving us from this kind of fear.
3: Yeah. I mean, it is fear. It is. It is.
1: It, it, it is neurosis. I think it's psychosis. It's yeah. violence. That there is a real world salvation. In other words, that's what I'm always afraid that's happening. We can talk about people coming into these churches. You know, if we're thinking of redemption as oh, real redemption, yeah, you really are given peace. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid that what is happening is that's not Christianity in this event. I don't know what to call it. Is it evangelical? Right. Uh,
2: uh, isn't that, again, the difference between sort of an Augustinian understanding of sin and wrath and hell? In that model, you know, I've heard it over and over and over again in my time in ministry, I'm sure you have too, where you hear people say something along the lines of, well, I'm just a sinner, I can't, I can't do any better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: that's that model. Jesus moves you from one box to the other. So you're not in the going to hell box, you're going in the, the you're in the heaven box now. But nothing else really changes. There's an accounting change yeah. from one column to the other. But with an Eastern model and your model, it's a real world salvation right now. Of where I go, I don't I don't have to be a drug addict anymore. And you know, the Eastern understanding of deification, it's I'm growing to be more and more like Jesus. And so I'm being real world healed and saved now. And into eternity, new heavens, new earth. But it starts now. Whereas the other, it's I'm just waiting around until I die and go to heaven. Uh, But there's no real world change in me that happens. It's just a cosmic... Does that make sense? Like a cosmic change.
1: And, and I think that because people are sold a bill of goods about Christianity, they no longer understand, oh, there's actually answers to be had here of yeah. a deep, profound, serious nature that you just aren't going to get in the evangelical, yeah. whatever this is, you know, church as we have it. Yeah. So what is happening is they don't know I, I No, this is too strong. I'm afraid they don't know a real world, peaceable, salvific depth of understanding. Tell me, I'm wrong here.
2: No, I th- yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And and what are, what are we we're missing so much by not having that? Like, I don't know where the guy's at now, but uh, there's a book I read a few years ago. It was written by a guy whose father was the head of Hamas and you may have heard this story before, but he, his father's the head of Hamas. Um, He's Palestinian. He gets captured by the Israeli secret service. They use him to spy on the Hamas. And he's confused about who he is, because he's, you know, am I Muslim? But I'm working for the Jews, so who am I? And they're both telling me to hate the other, and he's in a cab and the cab driver gives him a New Testament to read. And he opens it up to Matthew chapter 5 and reads Jesus saying, you need to love your enemy. Yeah. Wow. And it changed his whole life and he became a Christian because he said, well, I'm not, this isn't what I'm learning from Hamas. This isn't what I'm learning from the Israelis. Mm-hmm. That's only a message of Jesus, that we're to Love our enemy, but we're not saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think it'd be too, too politically. Yeah, it's too, it's too much. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do that, right? You mean the brown people on the other side of the wall, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, Allen's in our classes. I always, it's, it's terrible that you know the thing. I think about you know Eric, Eric Allen's, you know, talking about Mexico politically. It's so, he's out of bounds. If you're Mexican at this moment, the divisiveness of I, I don't know. I, I think this is politics. Yeah. yeah, is that it is always othering. That's the whole the whole thing is built upon that. And I think we've reached a kind of white hot
3: moment. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. And and I think people are driven to the gun phenomena in this country. It's just inexplicable. Yeah. But I think there is a uh, there is a kind of explanation. Yeah, people are are being driven to severe fear and neurosis. Yeah, uh, to insanity, to to a, a kind of striking out kind of insanity. Yeah, and uh, and I think the manifestation of that is a, a, a obviously a minority thing, but just the mental illness, the neurosis, and the fear that people are inundated with the. Christianity that we have is not addressing that, that I, I
2: can tell. No. No, and in fact, it's adding to that. Davina, my wife, barely has a relationship with her mom because her mom got wrapped up in prophets, I use quotation marks, who are, it's nothing more than QAnon stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and she's afraid of everything. The boogeyman's around every corner. And no one can tell her differently. You know, she told us once that President Biden is not actually president, but that he lives in a fake White House, that Trump is actually still president. But then she complains about Biden's policies all the time. And I don't talk to her a whole lot because I'm trying to maintain peace. But I said, you can't have both. You can't complain about Biden being president if Trump's really president. Like, you don't get both, but they don't, she doesn't see it. And that's become her understanding of Christianity is this QAnon stuff. You know, it's mean spirited and it's hateful and it's afraid of everything, it's afraid of the other. And this is a family that helped me when I was a baby Christian, it really helped me to grow in my faith. And it's just gone off the rails. But I think that's, you know, what you're getting at in your your book of, there's another quote that I really like. This is all part of that, the lie of sin. And you said, for Paul, the truth of Christ, found in the facing of the reality of death and resurrection faith, as in Romans 4, stands over against the lie of sin. The resistance to death of the fundamental fantasy and the impenetrable, impenetrable mystery of the real, which is the power of the negation of the death drive. Christ exposes the lie of sin. Death is life at the foundation of subjectivity in his acceptance of death and reverses the orientation of sin. Slavery to the fear of death in which denial is absolute. Christ relegates death and the law of sin and death to a secondary category and displaces them with truth, resurrection, life. Oh, that's view. Like that's oh, that's the gospel. Right? That... Christ is telling us the truth. The truth is we don't have to be afraid because he's overcome sin and death, the real world sin and death. He's overcome the Roman Empire. He's overcome, you know, all these things that we're facing and that we're afraid of Mm -hmm. and ultimately the final enemy of death and promises us resurrection.
1: That's exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't mean to. I, I'm curious, and I don't mean to. I'm not. I don't mean this as a focus on me. I, I sometimes lose track of who else is saying this. Where else have you? Where in your career? In your. I mean, I think N. T.
2: Wright. Okay. Uh, I know some people like to poo-poo on him now, but I still think he's. That he's Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. And um, I mean, that's Wright is talking about a real world.
1: The Science. heaven, not come to earth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In your educational, in your seminary, it's asking, so I'm assuming you did get some of that in uh, some of your seminary. Education. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and even uh, some of it in Bible college. For me, one of the books that was groundbreaking, and it's a simple book, um, but it's uh, Philip Yancey wrote The Jesus I Never Knew.
3: Yeah, okay.
2: And... Okay. Uh, I read that for, I think it was Life of Christ 1 class. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that book, he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. And he first starts out by saying, the way I was taught, being Philip the Sermon on the Mount, and it was the same way I was originally taught, is Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount so you can know how sinful you are and that you can't ever attain this, but thank goodness Jesus died for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Yancey starts talking about that's not the way the church has understood the Sermon on the Mount. And I think he even asked the question, what if Jesus actually wants us to live this way? And the light bulb turned on for me. Oh, "Oh, I think he's right. (laughs) I think (laughs) when Jesus says, I want you to love your enemy, he actually meant, I want you to love your enemy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, um, I mean, Philip Yancey.
1: I know it's there in Hauerwas. Yeah, I know it's in, I, was, I know it was there in stuff that we were doing. Absolutely. Hauerwas, um, I we did right, and we did, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, so I know I know there are people out there, there there are people that are, yeah, that just won't work in evangelical
2: Yeah, well I mean you think about what Eric Metaxas did to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Everyone loves the Bonhoeffer book like mm-hmm. so i named my son Dietrich and i read i read Dietrich Bonhoeffer before i read the Dietrich Bonhoeffer biography mm-hmm. and those are two very different things
3: mm.
2: and they're two very different Dietrich Bonhoeffers so in life together cost of discipleship you know i mean Bonhoeffer was non-violent, I get, you know, whatever happened at the end with Hitler. Right, he was a pacifist. Yeah, he was a pacifist. But Taxus' book turned him into a right-wing crusader. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's what we would do in the sort of evangelical church with those sorts of people. If we can't make them what we want them to be, then we'll just exclude them as liberal and... Yeah. you know, uh, social justice warrior, or whatever, and sort of poo-poo on them. But yeah, no, there are are those out there that are doing good stuff. I was just reading reread uh, Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, which at the time, people were ready to crucify Rob Bell. I think John Piper said, farewell, Rob Bell, um, because they said, well, Rob Bell's a universalist, which that book is not... He doesn't come out and say whether he's a universalist or not, but one thing he does talk about that in that book is a real world, right now salvation mm-hmm. from sin and death. You know, and I don't know what he's doing now, but it, that was. No, yeah. you you can tell he's read a lot of N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out there, but that's not what you're like you said. But that's not what we're doing.
1: I, because I was gone for so long, and I came back. I didn't know how strange I had become. Yeah. I, I don't think you can do what, you know, uh, at least, you know, the the kind of my energy. Uh, first of all, that I'm dealing you know, with psychoanalytic stuff. Yeah. But then also just the whole approach to a nonviolent Christianity. Yeah. I suppose that's not going to fly. That just won't work in evangelicalism. Yeah. In other words, once you do the gospel in the way we're describing, it is a kind of countercultural.
3: Yeah.
1: And I, I that That's not what we're talking about with no maybe church i mean i got
2: i guess this is the confession part where i you know i love the church i i wouldn't be a christian without the church i'd be dead Mm -hmm. because i was an addict Mm -hmm. and i was suicidal and it was the people in the church that loved me and shared the gospel with me i love the church
1: Mm -hmm.
2: but i don't feel like i have a home anywhere like i because i tried to do it the best i could in the local church as a pastor and I, I preached on nonviolence, and I preached against powers and principalities. And I had people who, thre- some did leave the church. I had others th- threatened to stop giving if I didn't stop talking about Trump. I was at a football game. It was a, a Colts fan, and Peyton Manning was getting. A, they made a statue for Peyton Manning, he was getting his number retired. Mike Pence was coming to the game. He was vice president at the time. So my family is going. So there's a whole lot of extra protection you have to go through. It took forever to get through because Secret Service services there and all of that. And they were playing the San Francisco 49ers, who were the only team at that point that was still kneeling for the National Anthem. And he knew that. Mike Pence knew that. Yeah. So the National Anthem is played. The 49ers players kneel of the anthem and Mike Pence leaves and then makes a big political stunt about it. And I remember I wrote a post because I was really angry, thinking you know what, you exposed us to a lot more danger just mm-hmm. by the fact that you were coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You knew that they were going to kneel and it was all a, yeah. and you know, it took Very away from what actually, not that it was a holy Christian moment, Peyton Manning getting yeah. his number retired and all that, but it completely took away from that event to put the focus on you and I posted that on Facebook and I had people I had one specific family who threatened to take away money from a charity that I was um, mm-hmm. on the board of mm-hmm. and to stop giving to the church if I didn't mm-hmm. shut up mm-hmm. me and um, Matt as well mm-hmm. um, and so I say all that to say I, I don't I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to, where to go in the church. And so it's it's almost like I'm just trying to find my way yeah. somehow and have I don't even worship at my church because there's nothing there for yeah. me. Yeah. I have to sort of do my best to to find some worship, but it's not there. Yeah. Um you know, I tried it in the local church, and I could, you know, maybe there's some that are stronger than me. I couldn't, I couldn't do it, and uh, so yeah, I don't. Uh,
1: you were my best, brightest hope <laughs> of all the students that I've had. You came through. You, I, I, and we all knew this. You're, you're, you're so pastoral, and you just, you, you should have been the guy that could do it. And I know you tried. Yeah. I, and so if I'm not sure that it can, it's doable. Yeah. If you can't do it. Yeah.
2: I, I just don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, because that's the, the heartbreaking part to me about, again, like the... There was so much of the vision of the restoration movement that was beautiful that we threw in the trash. The idea of, let's just be Christians and be unified, even if we have disagreements. And again, I'm not saying Alexander Campbell was always great at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that was at least what his vision was. Mm -hmm. Uh, The vision of nonviolence that no one even knows about unless you're in the... I think that some of the peaceful churches of Christ do. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But that's in the Christian church, no one's doing that. You know, it's it's just not it's not there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you feel homeless. I'm sure that's kind of the way you feel. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you gotta find fellowship where you can. Yeah, is what I guess my conclusion is. I as you know, we went through trauma. Yeah. Uh, but in a sense it was a necessary. In other words, I think the gospel as I understood it, first of all, it's nonviolent. Yeah, the atonement is nonviolent. That there is no eternal torturous. You know, once you once you do that, I at least in our fundamentalist schools, I don't think you can keep a job. Yeah, and I don't think you could ever really preach in one of our churches.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said I the lead
2: up to the twenty sixteen election. The 2016 election and then the, the lead-up to 2020 broke me because people that I knew and that I loved and that I thought loved me when I started pointing out just the issues with Trump mm-hmm. and got skewered just time and time again or would talk about guns.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Again, same sort of thing. You know, if I stay away from those sorts of issues, that they, they let me, whatever. Like, even, I would say, preaching nonviolence, hypothetically, was okay. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But when it became real, uh-huh. that's when it became a problem. Uh, I know the comparison sounds extreme. If, and this is, of course, what happened in Nazi Germany. Right. That you couldn't keep your job, yeah and be anti Hitler yeah i don't think you can keep your job and and, and be anti Trump
3: yeah
2: and the crazy thing in in our mega church i don't know we have a lot of pastors some of the upper level pastors i don't have connection with so i don't know where they're at i would say the majority of the which i guess this gives me hope and yet at the same time is depressing the majority of the other pastors are not Trump people. Mm. But we all know if we say anything about it, we'll get fired.
1: Because the main guy.
2: Well, not even it, the people.
1: Oh, it's okay.
2: Yeah, yeah the congregation. And, and probably the main guy, too. But I don't know that because I haven't had a conversation. Um, but the main guy at least knows enough to, to know
1: you can't say anything about it. And so can you be a Christian in Nazi Germany? And be anti-Semitic. Uh, allow, I mean, allow for all of that, yeah. and still, you know, go through all that they went through. Were the German Christians? I mean, the name of the the, yeah. the people that were loyal to Hitler. Are they still Christians? Yeah. I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Yeah. I can't not speak out. Yeah. I, I can't preach the gospel and not speak out against the political. Yeah, it's not like I'm pro anybody. Yeah, I just I just think that we've entered into a period that uh, this is we're we're dealing with the evil. Here. Yeah, and so that that's the sad part of this that. Yeah, uh, I I think it is a parallel.
3: Yeah,
1: and that for
2: me it, I got to the point when because uh, they started going after my wife, and that's the point where I said. You know what? Maybe I'll just go somewhere where I don't (laughs) talk. You know, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, But I, I, I've reached the point where I can't do that anymore. It's just I have to talk. I have to. And so maybe it's teaching younger people, and hoping that that will help. But I, again, I, uh, I feel lost. Sort of adrift. Yeah, you
1: know? um, not from Jesus.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, no. But no. Um,
1: just from the church. And I, I, I mean, in a sense, that's what forging plowshares is. Yeah, that nearly everybody that are in our classes, a lot of the people listening to our stuff, uh, they feel lost. Yeah, and I think there, there, we can have forms of community and. Uh, there are other Christians of like-minded faith. Even that, though, as I say that, but uh, it, it's locally, I mean. Yeah. Because of the technology, right? we can do this. But, boy, locally it's not easy. No, no. I, the little church that, that I preach at is strange. Yeah. Missouri. Right. I mean, I, we're, they, we're in Little Dixie here. Right? Right. We're in gun-toting Little Dixie. Just, this is... This is Trump
3: country. Yeah,
1: and I'm guessing at the local Christian church here, the large church. I uh, I, I know it's the typical thing. You know, you can't. You're, nobody's going to speak out against guns. They're not right. going to speak out against Trump. And in fact, I think they have armed guards. We do. Oh, you do. Yep. So I lead
2: the. I say I lead the men's ministry. They tell me what to do, and then I do it. <laughs> so we had a really big event. Um, we have. 500 some guys come to this event at one point we we were over 300 and someone from the church came to me and said well we we let the uh police officers know so they'll be here and i said what are you talking about He said well if we get 300 people we have to have we have to have police officers here armed police officers yeah. wow really and i said is that that's like a policy
3: that we have yeah
2: if you have above 300 people then we have police officers at the event and uh like even i mean we have a plain clothes police officer who guards whoever's preaching he's got a bodyguard he has a bodyguard
1: my goodness
3: yeah
2: wow i mean i wasn't preaching at that event but then i would have had a bodyguard if i had been preaching at that men's event so i don't i don't know how to fight that i don't know what you know what do you do yeah, in that situation, like
1: uh, I, I don't think you can fight it. Yeah, from within our little church is always unlocked. <laughs> yes. nobody bothers to. In fact, they lost the keys. So, yeah. So, yeah, It's not even possible. Well, that, I mean, we had a two-year
2: discussion on whether we were going to lock the door or not at Pleasant View, not at Connection Point. Yeah, the Connection Point is locked. I have a key that has a fob that opens the doors and all yeah. that kind of thing and but i was thinking about that the other day because i was driving around and it was i was sort of having a existential crisis i think of what am i going to do mm-hmm. you know what am i going to do when i grow grow up <laughs> uh and i thought man i just want somewhere to not that you have to go in the church but it was just one of those moments where it's like i just wish there was a church around here where i could just go in and just be quiet and pray
3: mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, again, I, I, you don't have to do that. I was—I just felt that at yeah. that time. And I thought, where would I go? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, everybody's locked. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. And we had a time, there was a, there was a tornado that went right behind Pleasant View. And uh, we lived in the parsonage, and so the parsonage didn't have a basement, so we ran over to the church, went down into the basement. And... Um, These two people driving by just stopped and ran into the church, and we're asking, "Is anybody here?" And so we called down to them. They came down to the basement. We all prayed together. Mm -hmm. But I thought about that the other day, of like, what if the door was locked? Yeah, yeah. And the tornado, like it hit in the field, so nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. it didn't hit buildings. Um, But it was right behind us. Like, what if the door had been locked and they couldn't have got in? Mm And they would have been killed and we would have been saved just because we left the stupid door locked. The,
1: those that are left behind. Well, are literally, right. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. But that was the argument. Is was like, who cares? Mm-hmm. And it was like, what if they steal our stuff? And it's like, what? Bibles? <laughs> what are they stealing? Like, we don't yeah. keep anything here. Yeah. And then it became, well, we got some TVs? Well, let them have it. Yeah. Who yeah. cares?
1: Yeah.
2: Like, all that stuff's replaceable, but... Isn't it better for maybe the people that don't get blown away by the tornado? I, I or, would think, yeah. Or somebody that just needs some time to come and pray and yeah. get alone with the Lord and, you know, or just wants to have like a sacred place kind yeah. of thing. And I get, again, the whole world is his. But, you know, people have that. View, yeah, you You know? Um, maybe that goes back to the fear and the, yeah. all that stuff that we're talking.
1: This was this was a wonderful conversation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know it didn't go the way we started out, Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe I needed some unburdening of my soul. No, no, Um, that's good.
1: That's good. um,
2: Again, it's your book. It's the understanding of um, which I didn't until this class this semester. I really didn't know about the Orthodox understanding of ancestral sin. Mm. Um, and it was one of those moments of reading um, it's I think the guy's name is John Mayendorf who wrote um, the history it was like the the practices of the Byzantine Church mm-hmm. and reading that and and seeing like oh this is kind of what you're talking about and it's what he Wright's talking about and, mm-hmm. you know it it just seemed like it went together and for me anyway not that these, as we've just talked about, I don't know if these churches exist anymore, but Restoration Movement understanding of sin. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and maybe even taking the Restoration Movement idea
1: to a better conclusion than what Absolutely. Campbell knew about. To me, the identity was always a very loose identity of, well, I'm just Christian. Right. That, that was just, that's my understanding yeah. of what it is. And, and I mean that. I, I'm open to fellowship with anybody. Yeah, you know. absolutely. <laughs> I do you know. Absolutely. And that's obvious in the product of, you know, the students that have gone yeah. through. But, yeah, no, I, I'm still there. I've never moved anywhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm near death. <laughs> I'm old enough. I don't have to live this thing out much longer. But yeah, for, you, for your your generation, I, it, it is just a, the homelessness of it, I, yeah. I, I feel is, I understand. Yeah.
2: But I do think, I, I think it's interesting that a lot of times, and you've experienced this, I've experienced this, Matt's experienced this, I think in most cases we're not the ones that have disfellowshipped anyone.
3: mm mm-hmm. no.
2: That so we're willing to have fellowship with whoever. Yeah. But... When you tell people maybe you shouldn't kill people, it seems
1: to make them angry. Uh, Uh, I've never experienced the sort of cruelty, I mean trauma, that we experienced at Central in my whole life. I mean, it was just the the cruelty was something. I know that many the the trauma for many people in churches and. I mean, this is putting it as dark as it comes. Yeah. Can you be a Christian? (laughs) In these places. Yeah. And, And I think what you're saying is, well, probably not without getting disfellowshipped. Right.
2: Well, that's, you know, one of the things I've considered is, do I just go and do a job and do the best I can at preaching the actual gospel? Until I get fired and then go somewhere else and try to do the same thing. Just <laughs> repeat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I mean it's just a painful.
1: No, that's 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 a poor way to go. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's the picking up the cross and. As you know, this forging plowshares. We this this is a, a movement of desperation. Yeah. I mean, it was the last. This yeah. I had nothing.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's. It's amazing to see what, how it's grown, and that there are people out there just like uh, at Pleasant View. I have my my dear friends uh, Barrett and Kelsey who they got it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's always that.
2: You know, and they're they're growing, and now unfortunately they're now at, they got disfellowships uh, <laughs> from Pleasant View. Oh you know, no! Um, and actually. You know for standing up for sort of the the gospel and nonviolence, and Mm -hmm. one guy wanted to fight Barrett um, yeah who's a deacon by the way Uh, so there's that but and then they went to a different church and what they're discovering it's it's a church that they thought was preaching the gospel but now they're trying to do the same mega church Stuff, yeah, um, yeah. and so where there, there's just no there, there, yeah. And so, it, I mean, they had a conversation with me a few months ago where they said, We're thinking about checking out the Catholic Church, and same thing, where it's like, I get
1: it, yeah, no,
2: <laughs> I, I understand. Now, they end up not going that route, yeah, yeah. um, but that's what they were thinking about doing, and what
1: we're faced with, and I think your topic here, we. Yeah. Uh, but is this? I mean, it is that we're faced with systemic, familial, ancestral, cultural sin. Yeah. That is simply not being addressed. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, it's been.
2: Yeah. No, it's been been wonderful to get to talk to you and cover lots of different things.
0: dot org